Hey. Uh, so, as I said, it's such a privilege to be here. I've, um, I don't think I've ever been in New Vine, despite growing up in this, in this area, being a local Maryland boy. Um, I've known DJ for a good amount of time, um, who I know you guys have been getting to know really well. He, not in his rock star days, but just after it, um, when he joined the sort of social justice advocacy work. I've known Libby since she was a child. I've known the Stablers who are here and a number of others. So it feels good to be here. I, um, I hinted while the kids were here that growing up in Maryland Public School as I think the only brown kid for most of that time and then one of two brown kids for a little while was like it was a good experience. I really enjoyed school. Um, but it was different, especially when you've got a different name as well. So Gershon, not a common name in Maryland or anywhere. Um, got very quickly turned to Gherkin. So I've got a lot of Gherkin going on. And then my middle name is Davin, which looks suspiciously like the spelling for Devon. So I've got Gherkin and Devon sitting together at Maryland. Um, and then once you've got two fillings of the sandwich, the jump from Nimbolka to Hamburger was really easy. So Gherkin, Devon, Hamburger. So if you forget my name, I'll respond to Hamburger. Um, so thank you, Maryland, for that. Um, but it, it feels, I don't know, I was trying to wrap my head around the emotions I feel coming here, um, which is a bit of my origin story, you know? This is where I grew up, this is where I was forged. Um, and to preach here, and this is the first time I've been preaching in this new role as the director of Common Grace. Um, so it feels like a, the, the, I guess the future and my past coming together in this one place. And I'll see, I think you'll see some of those themes reflected um, just incidentally as we look at this idea for God so loved that he will renew all things. I've loved the idea of this series as DJ's described it to me. I've jumped online and I've heard some of your sermons. They've been fantastic. So jumping in on this piece, the renewal of all things, um, what an exciting way to come in. It's one of the most hopeful messages I think um, the Bible has for us. So let me just pray really briefly and then we'll jump in um, and we'll go from there. Father God, Thank you for this church, for this community, these people learning to be more the people that you have called them to be, the people that you've created us to be, the people that we will one day be. I pray that um, here in this moment, in this morning, our hearts are open, that as I deliver a message, my heart is open to what you are doing with me and through me. But more importantly, Lord, that I pray that you are here with all of us and your spirit is doing the work of transforming us to ever be more the people you have called us to be. Amen. Um, who was around, sorry, I might be getting a few people to reveal their age here. Who was around in, on July 20th, 1969? Bunch of hands going up. Who remembers what happened on July 20th, 1969? I heard someone say it. The moon. I knew Karen would know. I knew Karen would correct me if I got my dates wrong because she knows all the trivia in all the world. Um, July 20th, 1969, the moon landing. The spacecraft that went to the moon, in some ways, was launched seven years before that. Almost 60 years ago to the month. Well, it was 60 years ago to the month. It was launched by JFK's famous speech that said we need 
to do this. We need to do this for humanity. We need to do this for the world. And I'm going to quote from him in just a moment. For the moon landing, it's a little bit divisive in some parts, but for most people, it's one of these huge human achievements. This crazy moment where people, for the first time ever, a creature leaves the gravity of our planet and is drawn towards another celestial object. It's never happened before, and yet we were able to do it. A phenomenal feat, and JFK will articulate it a lot better than I will. So I'm going to give him his words, and this is what he said in describing and launching the project to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon. We choose to go to the moon in this decade. Not because, they are, not because it is easy, but because it is hard. Because that goal will serve to organize and measure the best of our energies and skills. Because that challenge is one that we are willing to accept. If I were to say, my fellow citizens, that we shall send to the moon 240,000 miles away from the control station in Houston, a giant rocket more than 300 foot tall, the length of this football field made of new metal alloys, some of which have not been invented, capable of standing heat and stresses several times more than have ever been experienced, fitted together with a precision better than the finest watch carrying all the equipment needed for propulsion, guidance, control, communication, food and survival on an untried mission to an unknown celestial body and then return it safely to Earth, re-entering the atmosphere at speeds of over 25,000 miles per hour, causing heat about half that of the temperature of the sun and do all this and do it right and do it first before this decade is out then we must be bold. I still read that and listen to him. I, I, my spine is tingling right now. It seems like this impossible task, right? We're sending this craft into space with technologies we haven't even created yet, and we're going to do it within the next seven years. Impossible. But to do it, to do this impossible thing, to do this grand human-shaping endeavour, he had to have a vision, a bold and grand vision. And he said, when we got had that vision, when we had that clarity, it organized the best of our energies and abilities and put them to the test. And lo and behold, seven years later, we had the moon landing. I want us to reflect on that, reflect on the power of a vision. And as you reflect on that, as we go through this sermon, think about what is, it, what is the vision for you? It might not be getting to the moon, but what is the vision that guides and directs your life? What is the vision that animates you? What is the vision that animates this church? What is the vision that animates our country? If we had a bunch more time, I'd get us workshopping it together. I'd love to hear what that is. But just think of that. What is the vision that animates you? Okay, J uh, DJ, when he, I was preparing for this, asked me to do a recap. And I'm like, oh, this series that you're doing looks like it's the history of the universe, DJ. So you're asking me to recap the history of the universe in a couple of minutes? Okay, I'll do it. Here we go. Here's my slide that I've put together that 
I hope picks up, it'll be, in my words, so I think it'll be different to some of the themes, perhaps, but hopefully picks up the main ideas that you guys have been going through with this series, For God So Loved. For God So Loved, even before he sent his son, from the dawn of creation to the arrival of Jesus and for the rest of eternity, for God so loved. It's the grand story of the Bible. It's the grand story of the universe that you've been going through. That creation, for God so loved that he created us, created all the universe for his good purposes. And we'll look a bit more about what those purposes were in a sec. But for he, he created it good. But it was marred, it was impacted, it was affected by sin, by evil. It was corrupted. It wasn't the way that God intended it to be. Very quickly, things changed. Still remained good, but a bit separate from the way God intended it to be. But God so loved that he wasn't going to give up. Started again with Abraham and said to Abraham, through you, I'll make you a grand nation, a grand nations of priests that will return and bring my blessing back out to all of creation once again. You will bring back the goodness that we've lost. That was Abraham's vocation through Israel. And in that Israel entered in, Abraham entered into covenant with God. And they were the covenantal nation set out to bring God's blessing back. But, just like at the creation, Israel were not perfect. They didn't get there. And the prophets are constantly in their ear telling them when they're going astray, get back on course. This is going to lead in the wrong direction. And of course, Israel falls. They wind up in exile. They get out of uh, slavery in Egypt only after a short period of living with God as their king to find themselves occupied by nation after nation, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome. They were just kicked around over and over again. The prophets were there reminding of the goodness that was to come, and they eventually built up this prophetic hope. God still loved. His love had not stopped. His plans for creation would continue. But now they were waiting for the Messiah, the Messiah to come and bring about God's love and send it to the edges of creation once again. Free them from their bondage from at the time it was Rome when the Messiah finally came. Kick out the Romans and allow us to live out our vocation. And then Jesus turns up. And he does that in ways that nobody had expected. He starts saying, God so loved that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Start speaking about the kingdom and sending it out, but not in a way that was militaristic, not in a way that took down Rome, not directly anyway but in a new way. And then Jesus, you know, he says a bunch of things that a lot of people don't like, particularly the religious leaders of the day. They end up crucifying him. It's not going to stop God's love. It's resurrected. He sends the church, sends us, his followers, from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth, bringing about God's blessing to all of creation until we get to the point of, here's, here's where I pick up in the series at the very end, the renewal of all things. The renewal of all things. I 
growing up, have always pictured that, that end bit, the renewal of all things, the thing that the great promise for us to be, well, we call it heaven, right? That's what's coming. What are the images that you have of heaven? Um, you are welcome to call that out. I don't know if we do that at this church. But what are the images that you have when you think of heaven or the images that you grew up with of heaven? A garden. A garden. I like that one. That is cool. New earth. New earth. Gates. Yeah. Throne in a river. All the fruit trees. Oh, I'm going to go straight into that one. That's awesome. I like it. Healthy heavenly bodies. Amen. I love this. Um, I, um, I was talking to my cousin. She said the image of heaven that she was told growing up, she's a lot younger than me, was she was told that there'd just be swimming pools full of chocolate. Uh, <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Uh, a lot of the images I got, and I think well, this was a lot of the public images, are closer to this. On a cloud, lots of harps, um, lots of singing. You probably, I'm hoping you know, heard my singing during the worship then. Does not sound like heaven by any measure. But an eternity of singing, an eternity of worship, the endless church service, disembodied beings in the clouds. Images I was hearing from you guys seem quite different to that, right? Seem a bit more like this. This has been a bit of a recent revelation for me. Um, heaven's not this. There's been a bunch of theology backing this up. Great uh, scholarship by people like Tom Wright and others saying, the church has for so long focused on this idea that to quote the hymn, this earth will dissolve like snow. That's it. And then we go off to the clouds in this totally different reality and we're set free. And that is God's kingdom. Rather than this idea that we actually see Jesus constantly talking about, that we see in the Bible, of the garden with the fruit trees, the throne for sure, Potentially, the swimming pool's full of chocolate. Not so much of me singing, hopefully, unless they do something with my voice when we get there. Um, of this, the holy kingdom coming down to earth. Let's read Revelation 21 together. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. That is people. This is awesome. Love this idea. The heavenly kingdom coming down to earth. God with us. No more death or mourning or tears. Making all things new. Not wiping it out. 
not destroying it and rebuilding something else, making all things new. This is the message that God has been on to us about. This is what Jesus was talking to us about. The thing that Jesus preached on probably more than anything else was his kingdom, right? And for me, when he was preaching, it didn't have these echoes of none of this matters, we're going away for our heavenly escape. It was the place where the poor were fed, the naked were clothed, the sick and the ill were cared for, the peacemakers those that thirsted for hung, that were hungry for righteousness and justice, they felt filled because the kingdom was where God reigned. His purposes had come to be where everything that was broken could be fixed. Nothing so broken that it was unfixable. Here's what I think that original picture appears to us in Genesis looks like. I'm not going to do a big exegesis of Genesis now, but um, here's my shorthand for some of the good that God intends at Genesis. For the emergence of a world filled with healthy, vibrant creatures, lovingly engaged with God and living in safe, just, participatory, welcoming, and equitable communities. Um, So that's a little bit of a summary. It's hard to, I'm never going to capture God's intent in two sentences. Um, but we're central to this. The image bearers of God to function as his representatives that create communities that steward the earth to see those purposes realized. There's a lot there. It's a bit dense. Um, but here's what God intended. For us to be people living in these safe, just, equitable, caring communities deep love and connection and connected to God where we find our purpose, our meaning, our vocation. Is that making sense to people? So if you look at all of Jesus' teachings about the kingdom, they point us back to this, this coming reality, this renewal of all things that is about to happen. And from the very beginning, so that's Genesis 1 and 2, to the end of the Bible in Revelation 22, We're from the garden, we hear the lake or the river that runs through the center, the trees, the tree of life there. We get to Revelation 22 and we see that from that garden we move to that finally being accomplished when God brings about the renewal of all things. Revelation 22, it's the garden city. The new Jerusalem is a city that still has the river that runs out of it from the throne of God. The tree of life is there and its leaves are nourishing for the nations. Those intents that God had always had are finally achieved. Back to the history of the universe for a moment. For Israel, their prophetic denunciations always pointed them back to that goodness. Here's what you were meant to do. Be this source of blessing for all of creation that meant that nobody was left behind, that everyone had enough. They were always um, decried for not looking after the widow, the orphan, the stranger in their land, 
for not pursuing justice. But the flip side, their prophetic hope when they're in exile, when they're in exile was this renewal that God, for them, even on earth, would bring about communities that look like this. So Micah 4 kind of sums this up. The Lord is with them. The Lord will judge between many peoples and will settle disputes for strong nations far and wide. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Everyone will sit under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And no one will make them afraid, for the Lord Almighty has spoken. For a group of people that were being kicked around from nation to nation, how exciting would it be to have the Lord come and end the violence, swords beaten into farming tools, no one taking their houses anymore and having enough. It's a vision of sufficiency, of community and safety that they were constantly being reminded of. And you'll see this as a prophetic pattern throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, I should say, and throughout the Old Testament prophets. Um, Where we are now, we're in this spot between when Christ has come and when he will return with God and bring about the renewal of all things. And if you were here last week for DJ, I listened to this, the sermon online. He was talking about the church. Here is our spot in the middle of this unfolding history of the universe. What are we meant to do with it? I think, I believe that when Christ sent us out, we are to be animated by a vision of God's good purposes. The renewal that is coming to earth, where everything that is broken will be fixed, where the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the imprisoned, those suffering injustice are finally ministered to the way they were meant to be. Because if that vision animates us, we can do amazing things. And we have. We've been doing it for thousands of years. Um, so DJ reflected on the fact that the church wasn't perfect and yet they were still able to do some cool stuff in the empire of Rome. Um, there's so much we could talk about there. Who's seen Gladiator? Not enough. <laughs> this is fantastic movie, maybe a bit too violent. I remember watching it and going, this is Russell Crowe at his best um, it was you know, lots of political intrigue, but there was a part of me that was watching that and going, how is this part of human history? Like, how did we ever live in a society that was willing to pit humans against one another for sport? Yeah. Someone said it's still happening today. It is still happening in some insidious ways today, in different ways, yes. And it should grieve us. And certainly the first Christians, as they grew in influence in the Roman Empire, because they were the people that were caring for the poor, they were the people that were loving others in these amazing ways, they kept growing in influence. 
They looked at these gladiatorial ma death matches. They looked at the Colosseums and said, this is wrong. We need to stand against this. And they did. They started boycotting it. They started talking to elites. They started advocating against it. To the point that eventually the Colosseums got closed down. Certainly they weren't being used for gladiatorial matches anymore. The atheist historian, William Hartapole Leckie, describes that moment like this. There is scarcely any single reform so important in the moral history of mankind as the suppression of gladiatorial shows. A feat that must exclusively be ascribed to the Christian church. It's a big call. Biggest piece of moral development for Western civilization. The reason he says that is because it's the moment humanity, certainly the West, learnt to value all human life as equal. It was the moment that these Christians, their vision of the way the world should be started to catch on and people went, we can't treat people like things, like creatures that we can just kick around. All human life has value. And it changed the shape of the world. It was that idea, this idea that everyone is created with the divine spark of God that launched the human rights movement, launched the, uh, the abolitionist movement, that saw us move to a world with far less slavery today than it's ever had. And as the Christians were going out living this vision, they started within Rome, the seeds for the first public schools and public hospitals, huge transformations that have affected the way we live today. And they did it because they were animated by the vision of the way things were meant to be the way things one day will be. Um, who's a fan of chocolate? Um, who isn't a fan of chocolate? Surely. Well, a few hands going up. Some people lactose intolerant, I'm sure. Um, my wife is a big fan of chocolate. Um, the first campaign I ever got put on when I started a job for a social justice organisation, it was then Baptist World Aid, was on Nestle. Um, so some of you may or may not know that Nestle was a bit of the evil empire. Um, decades ago, they were selling baby milk uh, powder in Africa and it was being mixed with dirty water and kids were getting really sick. Many kids were dying. Um, they didn't care. They were making a profit. And then I got put onto them because a lot of our chocolate was coming from, and still is, West Africa, um, the Ivory Coast and Ghana, where there were tens of thousands of kids being forced into child labour to make it. Um, and we said, we've got to do something about this. People shouldn't be make, eating chocolate made by slaves. While my then girlfriend, now wife, agreed with me, she was like, but it's chocolate, I need it to live. Um, we successfully convinced her, so I, so I thought, okay, I'm off to a good start, but let's see if we can make this chocolate better. And we started a campaign within the churches. Um, it was a postcard campaign, of all things. Um, so I think a lot of people do digital and email campaigns these days, but this was, it started with us writing to the heads of Nestle, and I sat there going, they're not going to care. First couple of hundred postcards went out, almost no impact, as expected, and it swelled. You know, more churches got involved, a couple of Christian schools went to the thousands and the tens of thousands, and I'm sure their post boxes were being filled with these postcards every day, that they said, oh, it's surely, we've got up to 30,000 postcards at this point, let's pick up the phone. 
because this isn't going to stop. And we're getting bad coverage in the media. So I ended up talking to the Chief Operation Officer of Nestle in Australia. And they said, OK, what do we need to do? Nestle didn't get everything right straight away, but they started negotiating and they committed to certifying all their cocoa against the use of child labour and slavery. Didn't fix the whole problem, but took huge steps in the right direction. And they moved in Australia first, Australia and New Zealand first, ahead of the rest of the world. And I asked them why. It's because of the pressure they received here. It's because of the churches. It's because of people like you guys speaking out and going, this is not good. Let's do something about it. Every other chocolate company in Australia started to fall in line. We ended up having the most ethical chocolate in the world. Still got problems, but more people are doing more stuff about Australian chocolate, which makes my wife happy, than anywhere else in the world. Um, it's one of those reminders for me. They're the world's biggest food-producing multinational in the world. They're as goliathy as you can get. And here we are, the church navigating and being animated by this vision from God about the way the world should be, the way the world could be, that drew us forward and allowed us to do this amazing thing. Just like the moon landing, if this is the vision that animates us, we look out at the brokenness in our communities, in our households, and we don't stop locally. I love that your, your local focus, we go to the ends of the earth. We can bring about huge transformation that is a foretaste. It'll never be here perfectly, but is a foretaste of the kingdom to come. And there's a lot of work that needs to be done. So I work for Common Grace now, as I was talking to Libby about an organization that's looking at justice issues that Australia can sink its teeth into. My heart is, yes, that all these justice issues change. Absolutely. But my heart is that the church, most importantly, be animated, be caught, be held by God's vision for what he wants for our world, and that we start acting out of it. We organize our energies and our abilities to start seeing that bubble up amongst us. Because if we can do that, all these other things will start falling in line. How did the church grow for the most part? It's because it was pursuing this, this vision of the world as it should be. Because who doesn't want to be a part of a community that loves each other deeply, that is pursuing the good for everyone, that cares for people, that there is no one amongst them in need? Because we care about making sure we're sharing God's good abundance. Right now, we're focused on four justice issues. You heard me talk about them. One of the biggest issues that's going to come to the forefront of Australia is going to be First Nations justice. We've had the election. We know that there is a referendum coming to recognise First Nations people, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people in our constitution and give them a voice on the policies that affect them. Australia has not had a good track record of getting referendums over the line. And if we miss this opportunity, it'll set us back decades in our pursuit for justice. And all, a lot of the people, not everyone's agreed, but most people saying on all these other metrics, on the ridiculousness of childhood incarceration, on the poverty that grips our First Nations people, so much of it is because they are disempowered. 
but their voice, their vision will be a gift to our culture if we can find the pathway to reconciliation. So that's going to be a big part of what Common Grace focuses on. We're in a world where there's more people displaced than there's ever been, 100 million people due to war and conflict and climate. And Australia is languishing at the back in terms of how many people it helps bring to our nations and settle them in. We can do so much more. On climate, we've taken big steps forward, but we're a long way from the safe and secure world that we want to build. And on domestic and family violence, so much work that we need to be doing in the churches to make them safer places. This is what Common Grace is pursuing, and we need your help to do it. Um, I mean, my heart, again, regardless of whether you do it with an organisation or not, is that you're animated by that vision. But I would love for you to join us as we pursue God's heart for a world made right, to see the renewal of all things bubble up amongst us. We need you to hop on our website and join our movement to advocate with us. Next year is going to be our big year, pursuing First Nations justice, and we need people to help fund us to do that as well. So I'd love for you to join with us. Um, let's close in prayer. Thank you so much for your time today. Father God, we give you thanks, Lord, that there is nothing so broken that it can't be fixed and that you are at work now that your love is so pervasive that you are seeking to bless us here in Maryland, our communities around us, our state, our nation, right to the ends of the earth and all of creation. We pray, Lord, that we can be people animated by the renewal that you're bringing, that we can see that kingdom bubble up amongst us because we hold your vision close to our heart. We pray this in your name. Amen.